Welcome to FMC Radio, your officially unofficial source for all things Free Methodist. From in-depth discussions with key FMC leaders to daily updates during events like General Conference, we want to keep a consistent stream of information flowing to you regarding where God is leading the Free Methodist Church. I'm your host, Josh Avery. We want to invite you to sit back, relax, and join us on this journey as we learn what it means to be Free Methodist in this episode of the FMC Radio Show. Welcome to episode 97. It's March 18th, 2019, of course, a Monday. And uh, just uh, in the last few years, we have, and I say the last few years, really, I should say the last decade or maybe even more now. Sometimes I have trouble keeping track of, of how long it's actually been. Um, but in the last decade, handful of years, um, and especially the last few days, we've been talking a lot in the news. We've been hearing a lot in the news about uh, Muslim people and all around the world. Of course, there was the mosque shooting that happened somewhat recently um, in New Zealand with 49 people being killed. Um, and uh, what I've noticed, not only in pastoring a church, but just in conversations with many people, uh, not just talking Free Methodist Church, but I'm talking you know people regardless, is that people have a real fear of Muslim people. Um, I think it goes back to, you know, 2001 when there was the September 11th attacks uh, and there was a Muslim connection there. There was a uh, terrorist connection to that, to those Muslims. And so people started to, uh, almost every single time a conversation came up or comes up since about Muslim people, there's this thing like, well, you know, uh, well, how do you know that, that they're on the up and up? Or, you know, there's these, there's these, these things that people have in their minds about Muslim people. And so, um, you know, this this past week, it was in the news again, uh, people are talking about uh, Muslims specifically now, of course, because <clears throat> this shooting happened at a mosque in New Zealand with these 49 people being killed during their Friday prayer session. And uh, 39 other people are in the hospital, 11 of those people in critical condition. We hear these things, and uh, some of the response, what's crazy is some of the response of some people um, out of this has been to bring up that supposed terrorist connection again, right? We, we initially go, oh, oh, Muslims. Well, well this time they were, the, they were the, the victims, but most of the time they're doing the hurting. And, and that's uh, really a broad paintbrush and it's just, it's just like if someone were to say, well, you know, Christians, they did a good thing this time, but most of the time Christians are hateful and jerks and all insensitive and, and you know, bigots. And, you know, we would go, well, wait a minute, that's not, that's not reality. Um, and this is really on a higher level, a very, uh, very bad level that uh, we've put, uh, we meaning just Christ Christians and the world in a, in a bigger area have put... Uh, Muslims into, into this box. And so this past week, as far as, as free Methodism is concerned, uh, uh, David, uh, Bishop David Kendall wrote a, wrote a blog about the, as, as kind of as a response to what happened in New Zealand and some of the other things that the massacres that have become more common. And uh, he ultimately asked the question, are we retaliators or are we reconcilers? And this is a long article. I'm not going to read it to you uh, on this podcast today, but uh, I will put a link in the show notes for you. When you look at this, he, he goes through a series of seven action steps to say, listen, if you want to be a reconciler, 
instead of a retaliator, you need to do these things. You need to get involved instead of just uh, even just wishing evil upon people, thinking badly, even upon those who do this. The question is, are you going to are you going to reconcile? Are you going to uh, come into forgiveness? And and this is hard for many of us to to understand. It's hard for many of us to to figure out. Well, how do do reconciliation and forgiveness and all these issues come into play when there's such horrible things we're talking about? You know, when we're talking about a massacre like happened at this mosque in New Zealand. How do you how do you even begin to talk about forgiveness? And I think um, that many people, when they read this, you'll understand and you'll agree, you'll start to get some steps when you read uh, Bishop Kendall's blog here. I also wanted to mention, though, and I wanted to read to you a story from Phyllis Sorter, because when we're talking about Christians and Muslims and kind of the ongoing war that seems to happen, and not even, you know, not just talking about a, a, an official war war between population or something like that, but just individuals, as we mentioned earlier, just this thing where people are putting each other down through words or whatever it is. Uh, but Phyllis Sorter, of course, is our um, missionary in Uganda, and this is what she has to say. She reported on this on Saturday. She says, I want to tell you a good thing that happened just three weeks ago between Christian farmers and Muslim Fulani on the Bobby Reserve. Some young boys were herding cows together, children of Christians and Muslims. They started to play slash fight, and sadly, things got too rough. A farmer's boy hit a herdsman's son. The boy fell down and hit his head and died. There could have been a massacre at that point on the reserve. The Fulani could have killed the farmer's boy and even his family in revenge. But do you know what happened? The parents of the dead child went together to the home of the farmers, sat down with them, and told them that they knew the death of their son had been an accident. They assured the farmer and his wife that no action would be taken against them. They forgave the boy and left the family in peace. And then Phyllis says, What I'm trying to say is there are many, many people of different religions living in peace in Nigeria. They are working together, sending their children to school together, accepting one another's differences in a loving way. These stories also need to be told. It's a, it's a great uh, little story there. It's a sad story, you know, of what happened, uh, that they were, you know, playing together, then they're fighting, and then this kid falls down. And, and most of the time, you know, we hear these stories and we hear the sad ending to the stories. And so they decided to get retaliation. They fought back and they, you know, they killed the, the other boy or they killed the whole family. You know, they could have done that. And we've seen stories. We've heard things about those types of stories living themselves out. But in this case, this is a much better story that we don't usually hear about yet from people. Uh, we do hear about it from people on the front lines like Phyllis. Uh, we don't hear about this often in the news, on any news, whether it's conservative, liberal, whatever it is. We don't usually hear these kinds of stories, right? We, we don't, for some reason, they don't report on them. But uh, this story of you know forgiveness and this story of peace and this story of uh, reconciliation to use the, the word that Bishop uh, Kendall used in his blog, just to say, you know, these families, they had a reason to be upset. You know, they lost their son. They had a, 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 re a reason to be angry. Or we could even maybe go as far as some people to say they had a reason to retaliate uh, and, and get revenge. Uh, but they realized that that wasn't going to solve anything. You know, I think these people realized that and they, they sat down at the table. They didn't just ignore him either. They sat down at the family's house and they said, you know what, we know that this was an accident. We know that, 
you know, uh, we're not going to do anything against you. And, and they forgave him and left him in peace. And that's just one of those beautiful stories. And it's, it's one of those things to tell us, how could we possibly live our lives? You know, how could we forgive people in those types of ways that are living a more beautiful story than the ways, many endless ways of retaliation that never end uh, and those types of loops that we get ourselves stuck in. So let's move on uh, to the Free Methodist World Missions prayer guide for today. And it tells us to pray for Argentina and Uruguay. Uruguay, I can't say things today. Argentina and Argentina. <laughs> I'm still probably still saying that wrong. And Uruguay. Why can't I say these things? Like on any normal day, I've, I've said these words a million times, but as I'm looking and as I'm reading them, I can't say them this morning. I don't know what it is. I have a cold, but I don't think I can blame that. Okay, so it says here, Praise the Lord for a 12% growth in the membership of the Argentina Uruguay, I think I said it right that time, mission district this past year. So there's been a 12% growth in the memberships here. Pray for the 12 new ministerial candidates who were received and for the trainers who will train, for the leaders who will train and mentor them. So let's go ahead and pray and then we'll go into our uh, transition for our, our main topic today. Dear God, I just pray right now for uh, these countries, Argentina and Uruguay. We just pray for them. We pray for uh, those who have been received, the 12 new ministerial candidates. We pray for the leaders who are going to train them, mentor them, lead them up in the way they need to go. Uh, we pray that, uh, as 2 Timothy 2.15 says, that uh, these these leaders, these these people who are, are training would be uh, would be as one approved, as it says in Second Timothy, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. So we, we just ask that these workmen would just live up to it, that these leaders would live up to uh, those who have been approved, who have been approved for this training, for this mentoring. And we thank you for the 12% growth in membership that has happened this past year in this district. And um, we just ask that that will continue to grow, that we'll look back next year and say, oh, 12%, that was, that was really nothing, you know, <laughs> comparatively. And we just pray that uh, this will continue to be a growth that people will not only just grow in terms of, oh, I'm going to join a church or I'm going to join this thing uh, as something to do, but that it would be a real discipleship, that the movement would be more than just a one-time thing or a, a fun thing, but that it would be a movement uh, of transformed lives that they would go out and Close wind.
right, well, we're going to be continuing our study in the book of James today. We're going to be looking at James 4, verses 13 through 17, relatively uh, short passage compared to some of the other ones we've looked at. Uh, but this is really its own little topic in and of itself. Um, it, as we'll see, it's connected to the things James be, has been speaking about already. Um, but uh, it's, it's worth spending the time on just these verses. Let's go ahead and read all of them, and then we'll go back and pray and go through each of them individually here. It says again, uh, starting in verse 13, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. All right, let's pray and then we'll go back and talk about this passage. Dear God, I just thank you for this time that we're able to come together here. Again, it's just a, another way uh, through this audio podcast. We don't have to worry about somebody uh, coming and, and uh, breaking in while we're listening to this. Uh, and in our churches here in the, in the Free Methodist Church USA, we don't have to worry about in our churches on Sunday morning somebody coming in and telling us we're all arrested um, for our beliefs. And so we thank you for these different ways that we're able to talk about your word in a coffee shop here uh, in, on Sunday mornings, here on this podcast, different, different ways and different directions, over on YouTube, all these different places today that we can study your word. I pray that we wouldn't take that for granted. I pray that we wouldn't just uh, put that to the side, but that we would take that seriously uh, and that we would um, worship you in our response to what your word says. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so again, uh, let's go back, and what we're going to do as we go through this, we've just read it, of course, but we're going to go back and read uh, v different verses as we go through. So let's start just by rereading verse 13, where he says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Here we are just kind of starting out into his scenario. We're seeing he's, he's giving a scenario of some merchants, and maybe he had some specific people in mind that he's writing to. Uh, maybe not, but all that to say he's giving us a scenario of some merchants than the plans that they're making. And the plans, when we read about this, just looking at verse 13, they don't seem to be bad. They don't seem ungodly. Okay, they're going to go to a city, they're going to spend a year there. They're going to carry on business. They're going to make some money. They're making so, so they're making some travel plans here. And in this day and age that James is writing in, it's very possible that they have to make their travel plans dependent upon a ship leaving a port or a caravan leaving town. You know, it's not just, okay, next, you know, tomorrow I'll just decide if things work out. You know, I'll just kind of pack up all my stuff for a year-long journey. You're going to need to really plan that out, right? So these plans don't seem very bad. Uh, we look a little bit deeper into what, what, what they're, he's talking about here. It says, okay, the destination, they're going to a city, um, and they're going to be carrying, business, carrying on business here in this city. So we can kind of imagine what would happen in this day and age. So there's some sort of local goods. Maybe it's oils or some sort of fabric or whatever it is. They're going to be transporting from wherever they're at, their hometown, say, and they're going to go on this caravan to a city. And they're going to go spend a year there selling their things until they run out of what they have to sell. 
Uh, they, they've looked, researched this city probably that they know when they go there, they're going to be able to make some money. They're going to be able to profit, make a profit here. Um, and they expect that they're going to be able to do this for about a year. They say they expect to spend about a year there. So again, we look at all this stuff and, and there's nothing here that stands out in verse 13 as being uh, bad in any way or sinful or evil. Um, you know, in trade, when we think of business practices, anybody out there listening who has started a business or especially in, in the business of trade, um, you know, it's almost essential. You have to plan ahead. You have to be willing to think in advance about some things. Um, and even, I mean, even Christians would, would, would tell you today that, you know, it's bad business practice to just wake up every day and go, well, I guess we'll just see what today holds. You know, that, that's not really taught. Now, in every, in every single age in history, it, that hasn't changed, that, you know, we have to account for these sort of things. Um, so making these plans uh, doesn't, doesn't seem to be bad. And, and every honest merchant would plan in this exact same way, whether they were a pagan, a Christian, a Jew, a, you know, Muslim, whatever it is, this is the way to carry about your business. But as we're about to see... This, at face value, seemingly okay, seemingly normal, buy-and-buy thing, is actually the problem. This is what James is speaking out against. The, the problem is exactly that they are the same. That a Christian businessman and a Jewish businessman who doesn't believe in Christ or a pagan or whoever it may be, they are caring about their business the exact same way, doing the exact same things as a Christian. And to James, there's something here, and we're going to unfold this as we read more, that he just says, you know what, something's not right about that. Every part of our aspect of our lives should look differently. And so there's something wrong here. Now, it's not in the planning stage, so don't get too worried. We're going to see here what the problem is in. So let's see. Verse 14. He says, why, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. So at first glance, it does seem as if he's speaking out against planning at all. You know, at first glance, it seems like he's saying, well, wait a minute. You don't even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow. So why are you going to make plans? Why are you even going to sit down and, and plan out what you're going to do? Now, we're going to look at the fullness here in a moment of, of that planning. But here specifically, what he's speaking about is this different mindset of the plans. You know, it, with this secure rationality of their plans to say, well, listen, I'm going to go do this and I'm going to do that and this is what my life is versus the insecurity of life of going, you know, hey, these are my plans and this is what's going to happen um, we don't know what tomorrow holds. And uh, you may have listened to some of the lyrics in that, in that song that we had to kind of bring you from the first section to this section, and we'll have an outro of the same song. It's a, it's a newer song by, of course, if you listen to the show, you know, it's going to be Switchfoot, right? <laughs> I do that often, but this is one of their new songs that ties into today's topic. It's called Let It Happen, and it says this, um, some, something to the effect of tomorrow holds what tomorrow holds. We can't let it get here sooner. Let it happen. Uh, the, the truth is we don't know what tomorrow holds. And so in some regards, we just have to let it happen. We have to let it come and see, okay, am I going to be too sick to 
do my business tomorrow. That may be. I may find out I have cancer and, and the business is closed because I don't, I just can't finish it. You know, I can't continue on because of this new health risk in my life. So there's a difference in perspective here. A secure rationality of their plans talked about in verse 13 where they're just, hey, this is what I'm doing with my business. I'm going to do this and I'm going to go and do it versus that insecurity that we see in life. And, and really another example of this so we can wrap our minds around what James is talking about is the rich fool in Jesus's parables. Do you remember this story? Jesus uh, tells the story about the rich man and he says, the rich man thought, well, how can I kind of invest and take most advantage of my the time I have left in my life? So he said, what sounded like a great plan. He said, well, I'm going to take all this grain. I'm going to build an extra silo so I can store all my extra food. I can then sell it, eat it, whatever. But I'm not going to have to do any more work after this silo is built. So he builds this thing. And when he finishes building this silo, this barn, for the storage, God reveals the twist in the story that from God's perspective outside of time, he knows, hey, this guy's wasting his time because as soon as he finishes this barn, he's actually going to die. That That's going to be the end. And so uh, the, the actual phrase that is said uh, by God in this parable by Jesus is, you fool, this very night, your very life will be demanded from you. So he didn't realize it at the time. He thought it was a good practice. But he was so secure and, all right, I have 20, 30 years left, right, uh, to retire, to sit back, uh, that he was so, it was so rational in his mind, his plans were so set, and that insecurity of life set in, and it's just like James talked about. We don't even know what will happen tomorrow, and we're making these set dis, dis, dis plans that are just set in stone. And the business people that James are ta is talking about here have ultimately gained a false sense of security. They're looking at their lives and they have this sense of security. Well, if I only do these things, I spend a year there, I carry on business, I make money, I, I have this security about me. And we hear that. We say those types of things ourselves, don't we? We talk about, well, all right, once I meet this quota, once I get the, the, uh, you know, the, the, to the next level at the company, whatever it is, I'm going to be secure. And uh, we have this false sense of security in a lot of things around us. So let's continue on. Let's look at verse 15 again. Let's reread it and then look at it. He says, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So he's talking about a second option here. We don't just have to go, well, what do I do now? I, I can't believe in the rationality of my plans or the, that security? Well, what do, I, what do I believe in since there is that factor of security in life? And he's giving us exactly what we should do. He says, you need to raise your thinking to a higher level. And he puts it this way. He says, you ought to say, if, the, if it's the Lord's will, then we're going to do this and do that. Uh, now, there's different ways to take this and different people have looked at this over the years. Um, but... Uh, here, here's, there's, there's a, let, let's kind of break this down a little bit. It's, it talks about God's will. And Paul himself lived in this way. There are many different verses that give us a, a insight into this. I'm not going to read all of them. I will tell you um, Acts 18.21, Romans 1.10, uh, Philippians 2.19 and verse 24. You'll see examples of this. And I'll read you a few from 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 4.19 
Paul is talking uh, to the Corinthians, and he says this, um, I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then over in the same book, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 7, he says something similar. He says, uh, I do not want to see... I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. And so here he is again. He's using phrases like, if the Lord wills, if the Lord permits, um, you know, these types of things, if the Lord is willing. And so he's using, an ex this is a, a real example, Paul's life, of living out what James was talking about. And, and we'll notice here that as far as planning goes, we talked about this all throughout, our, our planning James doesn't rule out the planning. He's not saying, hey, you shouldn't plan anymore. You shouldn't make plans in your life. You, sh you never, never <laughs> plan to do anything. Don't even plan to go to a restaurant with your friends, right? He's not saying don't make plans. But the plans here are made within God's will versus plans made of our own volition, of our own rationality or what we think is right. And when he says you ought to say it is the Lord's will, it doesn't simply mean tack on that phrase, God willing, to the end of every plan. And, and I know some people that do this, and it's not in a bad way or anything. I think they're trying to live this out and try to remind themselves of this practice. I think it's, it's, it's certainly good. It's not bad in any way to say God willing. Um, but, uh, you know, that's how some people have maybe taken this, to just mean, okay, every time I have a plan, I'm going to add God willing to the end. Uh, so, well, on Sunday, we're planning on going down to the park, God willing, if it's in God's will, you know, you add that on. But that's not really the fullness of what James is talking about here. When he says, we should say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this or do that. What he's really saying is here, if we're saying those things, then we're believing those things. What would it, what would it mean for us to believe in these types of things? that it was the Lord's will for us to do things? Well, a couple things. First of all, that it would mean for us to plan with God instead of just plan on our own and then at the end say, oh, I should have prayed about that or I should have thought about that more. Maybe is that even what God wanted me to do? Um, again, he's speaking in a business category here, but really it applies to any part of our life. Um, each plan of ours to be evaluated by God's standards, by God's goals, some of those are very obvious right off the bat. You don't need to pray for God's will or, or think about God's will for things that would be obviously sinful. You don't go, okay, well, you know, if it, it, I'm thinking of going to the strip club tomorrow if, it, if it's God's will, you know, if it's the Lord's will. That's just silly, right? That's stupid. So things that are obviously sinful, we can already know, hey, his standards, his goals are not for us to, to engage in sin. Uh, but each plan that we have that we go, well, you know, uh, should I, should I um, move, right? Should I buy a house? Should I fill in the blank with all these things? We plan that alongside God. We think of his standards and his goals and what he might have for us. And each plan that we have that we come into, into that comes into our minds should be laid before God in prayer. And especially not just in prayer, but also with time listening to God, and listening to God's ideas about that. Um, not that we're going to hear a, a voice say, yes, you should go for a year and carry on business and make money, you know. <laughs> not that kind of listening. But when we listen to God, there's different ways that he speaks to us. 
And we may do some reading in the Bible or in another book, and we may say, well, that's interesting. That's, that, that answer is exactly, they're talking about here, exactly what I was, what I was praying about. Or you might have a friend that's, that, that brings up some advice, and you go, well, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking here. And so it lines right up. There may be different ways that God speaks to you. But we have to be uh, taking the time for some of these bigger decisions in our life uh, to, to seek God's will and to do what he would have us do. And we don't want to get too wrapped up in this, you know, that we take every little decision, you know, should I go to bed right now or in an hour? Let me pray about God's will. You know, should I stay up an hour? Or an... You know, we don't need to get into the little minute details of our, of our everyday life. It's good to include God in everything, but we don't need to seek his will on the smallest, smallest things. I, I, think, I think that's something that is that James would agree with here. But on those moderate or even bigger things, we need to be seeking him. Um, and, and when we do that, when we ask for his will, we actually mean that. So whether it's what we'd like or whether it's not. So to use James' example again, if we seek God's will and God says, well, I'd, I don't want you to go to spend a year and carry on business and make money in this place, um, then we need to be okay with that if it's not God's will, if it's apart from what we would have liked. And so we need to understand that when we're praying for God's will, it's not hoping that he doesn't interfere, that he doesn't get, you know, into our business and, well, I'm doing this because I'm supposed to, but really I have my mind made up. That's not the right way to go about it, to, to approach this idea. Now let's look at the next verse here, verse 16. It says, as it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. So now we get to the next level. This isn't just somebody uh, who has forgotten to pray about God's will, but it's far from prayerful planning. This person is boasting. They're bragging about, about the things that they have, the things that, you know, that, they're, that they're doing. They're, they're, it's indicating an inner attitude that is also reflected over here in, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. Over there it says, uh, Everything in the world... The, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he, has, uh, what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. So that piece there, that, that last little piece there, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. This is this same type of thing, this inner attitude that comes from the world, obviously not from God, to boast and brag about what you have or what you're going to have, right? Um, to, to brag to people, so name dropping, those types of things. Well, I'm going to go spend time with, you know, the president, or I'm going to go spend time with, uh, you know, the this famous Christian celebrity or whoever it is. Um, speaking of, of people or places of power, um, you know, uh, Glo gloating over deals that you made. Well, I just I just made the million dollar deal at the company, and you know I'm pretty important there. You know, and I think they're going to keep me on for a few years. You know, those types of things that that you, if it's all about gloating, bra bragging, and boasting about what you're doing, and it's all about your plans and how great you are, uh, you know, it's obviously it's a sin. And any plan that's made outside God's will is not just a foolish thing to say well, I didn't really do it or I, I missed the opportunity. It's, a, it's an actual sin. That's, that's revealed here, but it almost didn't even really need to be revealed. We should know this by now, that boasting and bragging and, and getting wrapped up in how great we are is a sin. 
Now let's look at that final verse one more time. It says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. And there's two layers to this. Uh, the first is just kind of a general truth uh, that is just very face value. You know, anybody who knows what they should do and does the opposite doesn't just miss an opportunity, they have sinned. Ties into what we just talked about earlier, uh, a minute ago. But this, I mean, that's just a general truth. It's not something that needs broken down too much, right? Just to read that phrase, it's like, well, yeah, okay. Anyone who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it sins. But if we look at the context and, and some of the stuff I was looking at in commentaries pointed out that there could be a more specific context here because we're speaking in a local context. In other words, the verses right around it of these merchants, right? That's who we were just talking about, this merchant scenario, this business scenario. And then on a bigger uh, context scale, we're looking at the whole book of James. We've been talking a lot about actions and loving people versus just talking about it and, you know, um, keeping people out and helping the poor, all these sort of things. He's, he's very action-oriented, right, in James. So we take the local context of the few verses about the business and we look at the larger context of what he's been saying in these, this entire letter. And what we are finding specifically about this verse is a little, is a little deeper than just that general context to say those who know the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. The business aspect of this comes in when these people, in this context of this verse, uh, their business interest, interests often lead them to worldly planning and hoarding money like that rich fool that we talked about earlier. So the hoarding money, of course, is a sin. The worldly planning would be the sin. And so these Christians who are business Christians, right, at their whole purpose, at their whole point uh, is about worldly planning and hoarding of the money, all these sort of things, uh, then they know the good they should do. But they're not going to, but they're choosing not to do it. They're choosing to invest in the business practice of the hoarding of the money. They're choosing to invest in the worldly planning practices and, and say, listen, I think uh, fill in the blank with some business mogul, whoever you may know. I think they know better than God. I don't need to pray on this because I think so-and-so, I've read the book and he knows a lot more, right? Um, so if you're willing to go above God or beyond God, whether it's your own wisdom or the world's wisdom or somebody that you think, you know, some celebrity's wisdom, um, then we do that knowing what we should do. And this, this verse here may be even a little more extreme and, and somewhat controversial and something that we look at and go like, what do we do with this? But one of the commentaries I read pointed this out, that as far as making money and keeping money and businesses and all that sort of a thing and saving money up, uh, the commentary put it this way, God has his own way to invest money giving it to the poor. What, was, what does that mean by that? Well, ultimately what they're inferring there in the commentary is that James is saying in verse 17 that the good this person ought to do is give this money away. That this money should be mostly invested in the poor. Where, where would James be getting this? Or where would this commentary be getting this concept? Well, a lot of places, but primarily from 
Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verses 20 through 26. This is probably something that you may have heard of before if you've been uh, in the Bible for some time. This is where Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we, can, we could stop there. You know, he goes on to say things like, You cannot serve both God and money. But if we were to take that passage and then look back at our whole passage for today and we look at this and, and think about the boasting person who said, I'm going to go there, I'm going to make the money, I'm going to save up, I'm going to spend a year there, carry on business, all these sort of things, they're, they're self-focused, right? We talked about that. They're boasting, they're bragging, they're probably not giving this money away. Uh, but Jesus gives us another option. He gives us another point of view to say, listen, that money is, could be stolen. That money could be invested and it's lost. That money, anything could happen to that money. But what if you stored up treasures in a place that nobody could touch and that is the kingdom of heaven? So in a money perspective, what Jesus often talks about is this idea of just of giving away the things that you have. And I, of course, there's you know a lot more of a discussion than we we probably have today to be able to talk about what that means uh, because I, I don't think anyone, any pastor or the bishops or myself or anyone would say, well, that means you've got to, uh, you know, be homeless today, sell your house and just go live on the streets and give all that profit to the poor. I, I don't think that Jesus necessarily meant that, although uh, <laughs> to be to be fair, Jesus, Jesus didn't really have a home that he uh, you know, slept in every night. He was kind of on the go. Uh, but, um, you know, there, there, are, there are layers to this. Um, but this commentary points out something interesting in our verse in James that says like, hey, if you know what Jesus says about giving to the poor and you know like the early church in Acts, like they, they did it. They really did it. They, they had everything they had, they had in common. So in today's world, like, all right, they, they shared a lawnmower and anything they have access, they would, they would sell and they'd give the proceeds to the poor. Like it was real. And in today's world, we go, well, that's, that was a nice way, right? But we don't live that way much anymore. And this commentary is saying something that could be very controversial to some people today. I, I think it is very controversial to some people today. To say that James is inferring by verse 17 in the context of not only the local context of these verses, 13 through 17, but the bigger context of, chapter, uh, of, the, entire, of the entire book of James. This commentary is inferring that James is saying that the good we ought to know of, giving money to the poor, helping the poor with our business practices, and what we actually do and not doing it is sin. That's what's being inferred here, not just not inferred, directly said by the commentary and potentially being said by James 5.17. Now, I know there's many people out there that are listening right now that uh, are business owners. I, sh I certainly am not. I don't know a lot about finance. My wife knows a lot more. Um, but maybe you're out there, you say, no, nah, he totally missed it. That commentary is off the wall. You know, maybe it, it, you know, it means this. Or, you know what, what about this verse? And you know what, that's why we uh, invented our... our um, <laughs> Invented, uh, not necessarily the best word for it, but that's why we came up with 
our show voicemail and the Twitter account and the Facebook page because I want to hear back from you guys on this. Uh, some of our most listened to episodes are actually um, these Bible studies, interestingly enough. Um, so I know there's a lot of you out there listening to these Bible studies from the statistic page. So if you're listening today, and, and I want to hear your thoughts on that verse 17 in the context of what we've been reading and what, what this has said in this commentary. What are your thoughts? Um, are they the same? Are they against? Are you have a totally different view? Uh, whatever they are, let us know today. Uh, go over to the Facebook page facebook.com slash FMC radio. You could uh, head over to Twitter, twitter.com slash FMC radio show. Or of course you could call the show voicemail. The, the uh, number for that is in the show notes um, here today on the show. So all of those things are great ways to respond. And I, I hope that you can respond and we could talk in the future uh, here on a, another show, kind of a follow up and say, hey, here's some things that came in. Um, on that. So let's go ahead and wrap up. Let's pray and then we'll wrap up for today. Dear God, I just thank you for this time we've had to talk about this passage here in James. And I ask that you will help us to study even deeper, to look for ourselves in these verses, to to uh, break them down even further than we had time to today and just determine not just what they meant, but what they mean for our lives today and how we could live our lives by the truths that are held here in our modern world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to wrap up. I will. Uh, I just came across the, the show voicemail number. I was looking for that earlier, so I will uh, read that to you. Uh, the number is 1-914-362-8721. Again, that's 914-362-8721. And uh, that is a voicemail number. No one will ever answer that number. It's just going to go straight to voicemail. You can leave your voice, and we can play your voicemail on a following show. So um, not only in response to this episode, but anything you have to say about the Free Methodist Church, about your excitement for General Conference coming up, anything at all, we would love to hear from you. And uh, all that being said, we will talk to you all next week.